before the time of Jesus, what we had was the temple. In the wilderness, we had the tabernacle of Moses, where God traveled with, so the physical presence of God traveled with the people. In the daytime, there was cloud. At night, there was the pillar of fire. That was the physical presence. And then when Moses, he was the priest, so he stands between God and the people. So when the people wants to come to God for mercy, he would take the request of the people and he would meet God in the holy place. In the holy place, there was a priest, and that was Aaron. The priesthood was set up, and he was responsible to enter into the most holy place and where they meet God. And when they meet God, and if God shows up, if you have done all of the things that you're supposed to do, then God will show up, and what's called the presence of God is the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory is the presence or the light, the glory of God that did not come from the sun. Shekinah glory, light that exists in the most holy place is a supernatural light. It is the the presence of God. And that's how they know that God's here. But today, when you speak to, to someone who goes to church and say, how do you meet God? Well, I think about him. That's how we meet God. I want to challenge that notion of meeting God and see what the Bible talks about in terms of how we can meet God. Let's co- turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, speaking about Jesus Christ, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. My thesis today is that Jesus Christ embodies the presence of God. Jesus Christ is where we go to to meet God. This is the meeting place between us and God. Without Jesus Christ, there is no meeting God. We cannot come to God the Father without Jesus Christ. Jesus turned to Philip and said, You've been with me all this time. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. There's only one way for mankind to see God. There was some other ways in the past where Moses met God in the burning bush. Well, not his divine glory, but his manifested glory in the bush. And the fire in the natural form, the cloud in the natural form, but no one ever seen the glory of God. Now you can say Moses saw God, didn't he? He saw the back of God. He saw as God put him behind the rock and he walked through and the rock represented Christ. We have to see God through Christ and Christ only. What about when Solomon, he built the temple, he set up the the people who play instruments, the singers and the worshipers, and then right before they were about to worship God, he shows up. The glory of God filled. Is that God's presence? That was God's manifested presence. No one ever seen the essence of God. The only person who had ever seen the essence of God is the Trinity. No one has ever seen God's essence of the Trinity. What about the transfiguration? What about Jesus Christ transformed on the Mount Tabor? Was that God in his glory? That was his manifested presence. It's not God's essence. All of those instances reaffirm that God manifests himself in a physical presence that we can interact with. Jesus Christ is the head. The body is the place where we come and have this interaction with God. The church is the place that God speaks to his people. And let me tell you why. The ancient tradition says this. When two people come together and talk about the Torah, which is the book of Moses, then the manifestation of God's presence is there. Think about this. When two people come together and they talk about the Torah, God exists in that conversation. 
The reason is the individual person exists in captivity. The idea is if you exist by yourself, you exist in captivity. When you exist with another person, two or three people, you are now no longer in captivity. You are now in the body. How pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. When we come together, when the word that comes out of us and someone else hear the word it is being proclaimed, that is where the presence of God is. Think about this. In the beginning, he spoke and the world came to being. So the word has to come out of God's mouth. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that it has to proceed out of the mouth of God. So the word that comes out, the proclamation of the word, like what I'm doing now and what we are doing when we come together and we talk about biblical truth, Christ, the word that comes out, that vibrates to the molecules of the air, that proclamation is the same when we speak Christ. That same act caused the creative essence to happen. This is what happened when Israel was taken captive in, in Babylon. The presence of God was gone when they are taken out of captivity, that they can now assemble. The temple is restored, rebuilt, so that there is worship again in the temple, in in the place of worship. And God's presence can now manifest because he said, we're two or three gathered in his name. And when Jesus says that, he's actually referring to the tradition of the Torah, where two or three people sit together, discuss the Torah. God manifests the presence in the midst. We start out with the seed, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Everything starts out with the seed. Everything starts out with God speaks. Things happen. Things grow and live. Everything starts with the seed. And that seed here is an incorruptible seed, meaning it is eternal. It cannot, it cannot change and it cannot die. And men have tried. They crucified. What happened? Three days later, it rose again. Incorruptible. It is the truth. The word of God or the seed, this is the true seed. In the parables, at night, the enemy came and sowed bad seeds. Right? So fake seed in the field. And God said, let them both grow up. So we will see those who have the true seed of Jesus Christ will become weak. And those who have false seed or the seed that's planted by the devil will be tares but they both will grow in the church. The Lord Jesus Christ, this seed is an eternal seed, an incorruptible seed, and it is the true seed in Luke 8, verse 11. The seed is the word of God, is what God spoke. We searching for the truth, man search for the truth, and the truth is what God spoke. The fact that God speaking is the truth. Whatever he said is the truth. Not our interpretation of it, but what he said is the truth, because what he said created everything. So the seed is the true seed, and the seed is where the mercy seat is. The seed is the mercy seat. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 26. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. What God is saying is that he is placing his presence in the form of a seed in this sanctuary place or in this place called the sanctuary, and that place will multiply. So the concept of the seed was planted not in the present time when Jesus was born, but that seed existed in the beginning, 
in the Adamic covenant. God has made a covenant with us. The covenant is basically a promise. The, the first one is made to all mankind, the Adamic covenant. And that covenant is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when he says that the seed of the woman will have victory over the serpent. So what happened in the Old Testament when Adam sinned was that now the devil has authority over Adam and Eve. So the whole human race is now subjected to the devil. And God has promised at that time that the seed of the woman will triumph, will have victory over the serpent. So that was his promise. Now, that promise is unconditional. Of the seven covenant that God made with us, only one was conditional. The one conditional covenant was the covenant with Moses, the Mosaic covenant. The other ones are unconditional. This one was an unconditional, meaning you don't have to do anything. This is done entirely by God. You don't have to keep the law, nothing. This is what God promised, and he will do this. This covenant or this promise to the promise of faith, Abrahamic covenant. Those who are chosen by God, by the grace of God, through faith, uh, Abraham became the symbol of the chosen people. The covenant of Abraham was a covenant of grace through faith. So God graciously chose him of all the people, said, I choose Abraham to be the blessing to the people. In Galatians 3.16, Now Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said not and two seeds as of many, but as of one and to thy seed. So when God says the seed of Abraham, the Apostle Paul says he meant Jesus Christ, the only one who was the seed of Abraham, not this generation that were born to Abraham. So he clarified that and said that seed, that was Jesus Christ. When God made that covenant, he made the covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ or through the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham became the symbol of faith, but Christ became the object of our faith. Having Christ as the seed, the only seed, does having the faith of the Son of God in us. So Jesus Christ became faith for us. So he became that object of our faith. Without faith, we cannot come to God. The reason why he made this covenant was that so that we can come to God through Jesus Christ. The access to God requires faith, and that faith is the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to have that. Nowhere else, no one else can we go through the last covenant, or the third covenant that he made, was the covenant with David. This is the covenant of the everlasting king. So he said he would save us, he's chosen us, and now he said he will reign. So some people like to be saved, and they want to be free, and they want to do whatever they want. Just like when the people get to promised land, they got to the promised land and said, yeah, we're free, we inherit this promised land, and everyone did according to what they felt was right, and it was chaotic. So God had to set up a king, but any earthly king didn't make it. The only king that had some resemblance of what the future holds was David. And God made a covenant with, not with David, but with your seed, the, the seed of David. That was Jesus Christ. Having the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who makes decision, who leads us. He makes all the right decision. His decision will cause us to be blessed. Leave it up to us. Well, we make terrible mistakes. So we need a king, and God has promised us a king that will lead us into victory. And that is why Davidic covenant was made with us and for us through Jesus Christ. And God's promise to us that this kingdom will not be destroyed. David died, his son died, and his son's sons died. But the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ will be forever. 
Babylonian king, no kings on earth will destroy it. In fact, no king in heaven, on earth, or under the earth shall destroy it. The devil tried, he failed. He could not destroy this kingdom. So the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is established forever. That is the promise in the seed. Where do we go from there? We are the branch and we are the fruit. John 15, 4. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. So we are the branch. There are two kinds of branches that belong to this olive tree. The original branches in the olive tree, that was the nation of Israel. They were the original branch. And then we, the Gentiles, get grafted into that branch. We are wild olives and we were grafted into the vine. First of all, being grafted into Christ because we are not of the same essence of God. So we are not God. To be born of God is to be grafted into God. That is the only way that we are grafted into, that we become family of God. We need to be adopted into the family of God, the Trinity, the Trinitarian family. Jesus Christ is the place where we meet God, but we are this wild olive, and he is the essence of God, and he, he has access to God. And how do we get to God? We need to get grafted into the olive tree. To be grafted into the olive tree, this is what happens. The tree has to be cut. Different kinds of grafting that happens, but for any grafting to work, the tree has to be cut. You have this grafting to the trunk itself, the branch has to be cut off. And where the branch is cut off, there is this cut inside the tree, and it has to be split open, and the branch, it has to be cut into a wedge shape, and it has to be put into that hollow place. Now talk about the body of Christ being pierced, the body of Christ being bruised and pierced so that we can be a part of it. He has to be bruised, he has to be cut off. The branch, the Old Testament talk about Jesus Christ, talk, the branch. If you read your Bible, it says, all capital, the branch. And he was cut off so that we can be grafted into God. And this, this love of God is, is immense when you think about it. In Romans 11, chapter 11, verse 17, if some of the branches be broken off and thou being in a wild olive tree, with grafted among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. God has dealt so graciously with us. Not only he chosen us as the wild olive tree, but he chosen us to graft us into the tree. And to do so, God has to cut off the olive tree so that we can be a part of it. For the grafting to work, the branch, and at the cellular level of the tree, it has to be of the same kind, or it has to be compatible. It's called the fusing process. So if the branch is not compatible with the tree, it won't work. The grafting will fail because they're not compatible. If you do any kind of grafting, you know, if it's not compatible, it won't work. This compatibility talks about the process of being born again. None of us can just say, I want to be part of that tree, so I'm just going to stick myself into Christ. It won't work. God has to do this work. And this work is called the rebirthing process, born again, and then grafted into the process of salvation first, it involved being born again and then being adopted into the family of God. That's the second process, baptism and then adoption into the family of God. So born again is the first process. And when you're born again, now you are the same, not the same essence, but the same substance as, as Christ. And now you can be grafted into that tree. Clefting by grafting, meaning cutting off, being grafted in Christ requires cutting off of the old branch, trimming of the new branch. So expecting that God will, as part of this grafting into Christ, part of us need to be cut 
to be cut off, to be trimmed, to be pruned, so that we can be grafted into Christ. The graft into Christ allows us to draw from the root. And the second process of being grafted into Christ is that the fruit contains a seed, and that seed is Jesus Christ. That is how we communicate with God. When we are grafted into Christ, the, the tree will send the nourishment to the branch, the new, the grafted branch, and that will form into the branch. And when the branch formed the fruit, that fruit has the seed that was used to plant the tree. And when the fruit, when you have the olive, you see the pit, that pit, if you think about it, is the same seed as Jesus Christ. He was the firstborn among many brethren. This is the will of God. And that is how we have the temple of Christ in us. The fruit is all out of shell. And this temple is the seed in us. And that's how God communicates with us through Jesus Christ. And actually, Jesus Christ himself. He is the high priest of this temple in whom God dwells. And the Holy Spirit is the person who communicates to God with us, who knows the mind of the Spirit. And he prays for the saint according to the will of God, Romans 8. The process of meeting God through the branch and fruit is how we meet God in private. We meet God through reading of the word and studying of the word. That's how we meet God. That's how God speaks to us, through the word. Language, learning the word of God, is how we learn to communicate with God. We need to learn how to speak God's language. We need to learn, and God's language is the biblical language. This is the foundation of how we learn to speak with God. And learning the language or learning the word of God is a process of becoming Christ, of learning to become Christ or Christ-like. Speaking with God, communicating with God through prayer is the second process of becoming Christ. As we speak Christ, as we speak and we mimic this word, as a child learns a language, when we learn a language, the language shapes and forms the neurological system of our brain. That's what languages does. A person who learns English has a different neurological mapping than a person who learns Chinese. Their brain structure is different than people who are monolingual. People who are multilingual, they will gravitate to the shortest language that describe whatever they're thinking. If I want to remember phone numbers, I do not remember phone numbers in English because they're just extra syllables that I have to remember. But in Vietnamese, it's just one syllable. That's it. So learning the biblical language changes our mind and helps us to communicate with God. And when there are problems that cannot be solved in the human language, we learn the biblical language to solve deep and philosophical and sometimes emotional things that cannot be expressed with the human language. The Holy Spirit helps us to interpret these things and help us to grow. The meeting in private with God is only one part of our meeting with God. This is how God communicates with us. The presence of God the actual presence of God happens in the assembly, in the congregation, and that is the tree. Yeah, so let's talk about the tree, Romans 11, chapter 17. God's interested in the whole tree. You have all these branches that we bear fruit, but they cannot exist by themselves. They have to be plugged into the tree. If you cut off the branch, it will die. And Jesus says, good nothing, we get thrown into the fire, used for, for warmth. The good of the branch remains in the tree, being part of the tree. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. I can meet God anywhere. Well, in fact, the Bible doesn't say that. God is everywhere. That's true. But you cannot meet God everywhere. You meet God where he wants to meet you. You meet God at a place, at the time, the environment in which God says, I will meet you here. God was with Israel, but to meet God, they have to go into the holy place 
into the Holy of Holies with one person has to do all these things according to the ritual and ordinance of the priest, Levitical priesthood so that God will show up. If not, they will have to pull him out through Christ. We are at liberty, but God has not changed. And this is what Jesus says. Where two or three gather in my name, I am in the midst of them. Question then, can we meet Christ apart from another person? That is the question. Can we meet Christ alone? When you pray alone, do you meet Christ? Let me attempt to put this so that you can think about it. This is where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit helps us to communicate with Christ. Another question that you would ask, well, how can Jesus be with us? Jesus was resurrected, and when he was resurrected, the people were sitting together in the room. They were really afraid. Peter and the disciples there, and then Jesus appeared in the midst of them. And when he appeared, he was in the flesh. He was not just a mirage, an image, a ghost-like thing, but he was actually in the flesh. Because you know, eight days later after that event, Jesus says, Thomas, when you come over here, put your hand in my hand, put your hand in my side. He was a tangible, physical, resurrected body. And then they saw him went up into the sky. And then, of course, you know, the angel said, why do you look up in the sky? The same Jesus who left will return the same way. Now, the question I ask you, how can Jesus be in the midst of two or three people gathered in his name? And he is at the right hand of God right now. The omnipresence, that is the answer. But how can the omnipresence of Christ have his body here? That's also another long discussion. But if you're Catholic, then you say that Christ exists in the Eucharist, right? The body, the uh, transubstantiation. When you eat that bread, that is the actual physical flesh of Jesus Christ. But we follow the Reformed tradition. We don't believe that. However, however, the concept remains. Jesus Christ appeared or had presence when two or three are gathered. Do we see Christ? I would be bold to say, I don't believe we can see Christ with our physical eyes. But he is there. We have to see Christ with our faith and not with our eyes. Because the righteous does not use their eyes. The righteous use their faith, not their eyes. So the only way for us to see Christ is when we talk about Christ, in proclaiming Christ, his presence is there by faith. The church is the place where God meets us. We cannot have God in private. God exists when he is proclaimed. When Jesus Christ is proclaimed and lifted up, he is there in the midst. So life in the church, I will go quickly, life through the Lord's table as we come together and partake in the Lord. He is there. He promised that he is there. This is my body broken for you. This is my life. This is my flesh. When you partake of his body, you partake of life. There are people who never go to church. They show up once in a while and look at the life that exists in them. And you will see, when we come together as the body, as the church, the life of Jesus Christ is poured out to us. The life through others. We exist and we communicate Christ with each other. And as Christ is being communicated, life is being shared among us. This is how we gain life in Christ. This is how abundant life happens. Is when we speak the word of God, when we share the word of God, when the word of God is proclaimed, life is being shared among those who participate in this conversation. Also, beware of poison. Because in the body, when we open the door for everyone, everyone can come in. And sometimes, like James says, strained doctrines will come in. 
So we have to be aware of not everything that exists in the church because there are some tares in here. Not everything is wheat. There's some goats in here. Everyone is sheep. So we have to be aware. And that's why we need to train ourselves and know the doctrine of Jesus Christ versus the doctrine of the devil. Lastly, let me talk about the meeting of God. When we come together and meet God in the church, we are sharing Christ. God promised presence when two or three gathered in the name of Jesus Christ. Matthew 18, 21. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. I want to make the emphasis here in my name. The church have become a place where we teach morality. This is a Kantian notion where religion is about teaching morality. When the church meets together, we have to meet in Jesus' name. The thing that needs to be discussed here is Christ, not how we can improve ourselves and be better or live a godly or Christian life. Those things are periphery. Those things are supplementary. But the thing that needs to be discussed in the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's who He is and what He has done and how He is moving and working on this. If you come into a body and congregation and all we talk about here is let's have good food, let's good music, let's have a place where everyone feel happy and comfortable and Jesus Christ never discussed, then He's not there. He said, we're two others to gather in my name. We need to talk about Jesus Christ. Think about it when they sit together, when two or three rabbis sit together and they discuss, and the subject of the discussion is not the Torah. God is not there. It is not there. They can have good beer. They can have good, I don't know, they drink beer. Maybe not. They can have good fellowship. Sekinah glory is not there. God promised we come together and speak about Christ, then He is present. Secondly, when we come together, we hear the Word of God preached. See, God exists before the creation of the world. But when he spoke, the world came into being. We exist in our isolated environment, and we can speak to ourselves, but that is very different when you speak to someone. When the word of God is spoken to someone, then now we are no longer in isolation, but now we share in the life of others, and we share Christ to each other. So hearing the word speak, Think about learning, for example. You might be able to learn a lot of things, but until you have a discussion of what you're learning with someone else, you don't know whether what you've learned is right or wrong. And you don't hear their perspective, don't hear their thoughts on the issues, and you don't learn anything new. Through discussion and through hearing and preaching, the collaborative effort grows life in us, sharing in the life of Christ. In the Jewish tradition, uh, now this is in the Mishnah, the Mishnah is the commentary to the written Torah. But if two sit together and exchange words of Torah, the divine presence, Shekinah glory, rests between them as it is written. When the God-fearing converse with one another, and God listened and heard, and the book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear God and meditate on his name. The word must be shared between two or more persons for it to be transmitted. The purpose of the word is transmission. If the word is not transmission, it's just a thought. But word, when it's transmitted, then it's fulfilled the purpose of being the word itself. And Jesus Christ is the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and that word became flesh. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come together, life happens when we praise God. In Psalm chapter 22, verse 3 says, But thou art holy, thou that inhabitest the praises. God's promise that when we come together and we praise God, he inhabit our praise. He's there. So the worship of God and, and the presence of God is there when we praise Him. He is there when we bring our offering 
First Corinthians fourteen twenty six says, "When ye come together, every one of you has a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying." So when we come together, this is the time when we share in the body, when we become part of the body, and when we offer to the Lord the offering that we have in our private life prepared, so that when we come together, we edify each other, we build each other up. Interdependency, we depend on one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhort one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. The author of Hebrews says, don't think about the church as something that is not necessary. When we stay away from the church, you don't see the effect that your absence make on the church. So you're not there. But your presence or your absence really change the makeup, change the, the essence of what the church is. So your presence makes the church become alive because you're a living being. When you come and become part of the church, you contribute to its life. When we come together and we participate in the body of Jesus Christ, the Lord himself says that there is something for us to do, and that is to share in the Lord's death. That's what we are here for. When we come together, we learn about the Lord Jesus Christ, we share in his death, and that is our purpose. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have given to us the church, your body, the life and the temple and the place where we meet and receive life from you. For when you spoke, everything was created. Life was given to us. And I pray, Lord, as we come together, as your body come together, and this life is transmitted through the word being spoken between us and in our midst being discussed, being proclaimed, May this life be enriched in our lives and that we would become the light and we would become the life to this world. And through the testimony of his resurrection, in whom all men can be saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, through the remembrance of your word and through our meditation and our prayers and our study of your word. Amen.